Well, good morning, guys. My name is Mike, and I am the uh, the lead pastor here at the the Brigham City campus. Um, I have uh, it's been about six months. Well, it's been six months now that that I've been in this position, and um, it was cool for me to see Zach get up here and do the announcements because um, over these six months, it's been it's been uh, more and more apparent to me all the time how important it is to have a group, a team of people that, that come together and serve every week to be able to make this service happen. Oftentimes, you know, you just see the pastor up here, or the worship team, um, and there's so many people that, that work so hard to make these services happen. And so my goal is to get the other people on staff and the other overseers up here doing announcements and that sort of thing. So you get to know them because they're wonderful people and they're a big part of this ministry. Um, so last week, Ross was here giving the message and, and uh, we get to hear from him again on, on Christmas Eve. But I just found out this week that, that Ross just, uh, it, he just passed the 10-year mark that he's been with Alpine Church. Um, and he's down, um, I think, preaching in West Haven today, which is the church that he had had led prior to coming to Alpine um, before it became an Alpine campus. And um, so I just want to lift Ross and his wife Sally up in prayer this morning um, because they've been such an important part of this, of, of Alpine. So will you guys pray with me real quick? Lord God, I just, uh, I just want to lift up Ross and Sally and thank you for, for them. Thank you for their, um, their hearts towards ministry. Lord, they have, they give so much of themselves to trying to uh, help myself and, and so many people um, as we pursue God. Lord, they work, they work uh, very hard uh, to try and be the, your, your hands and feet and, and take your message uh, to their community, to all, to Northern Utah, and they've worked really hard that way. And so, Lord, I just ask you to continue to bless them in their lives and continue to use them to, to be able to reach more and more people every day here in northern Utah and even beyond that. And, uh, but we're thankful, Lord, for people like Ross and Sally and their, and their hearts and, uh, and, and um, just their, their willingness to be part of the ministry and, and help share your word. So, Lord, we thank you for them, and we ask you to continue to bless them and bless this message and uh, just help it resonate with people. Lord, we love you, and we, we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, we are um, we're in the sixth week of this sermon series on uh, called the Seven Deadly Sins, um, and we have, you know, we well bef- as we get started here, I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself a question. What do you think of when you hear the word sin? Right? Are we, uh, you know, is it is it when you break the rules? And if so, whose rules are we talking about breaking? Is it God's rules? A church's rules, your mom and dad's rules, the government's rules, or <clears throat> is it when we do something bad? And if it's if that's the case, who gets to decide if something that we do is good or if it's bad? Now, sin is a word that we hear a lot about in church, but once we leave that that front door and we go out into the world, we don't really hear about sin a lot. If our culture talks about sin at all. It kind of it kind of mocks the idea of sin, uh, makes light of it, passes it off as some sort of small-minded, hypercritical, outdated form of of judgment. At the very least, our society and our culture tends to blur the lines 
when it comes to, to sin because we hear things like, you need to find your own truth, right? Or you need to follow your heart. Or the only thing that matters is, uh, is if it makes you happy, right? But sadly, those kind of things just simply aren't true. The truth is sin impacts everything about us. It is the single biggest problem in our lives. It impacts our relationships, our, our families, even our health. Now, a couple weeks ago when I was up here talking, I, I explained the definition of sin is choosing to go our way instead of God's way. And so with that in mind, sin has some very real implications in our lives. And that's why we've been talking about it in the series and why we continue to talk about it today. Now, um, so far, we've gone through pride, greed, lust, gluttony, and anger. And in each of these messages, we've been uh, careful to point out that this is not a, a comprehensive list of sins, right? This is categories of sin, that, that all of the, the sins that we commit usually generally fall into one of these categories. Um, and this has been really eye-opening, I think, to me and a lot of people as we dig into this in our small groups during the week or in our mentoring relationships. And we're, if we're talking about this, um, it's been eye-opening to see just how much this, these sins affect our, our lives. And so today, we are talking about the deadly sin of envy. And as I prepared for this message, um, I was really surprised at how much I think that I have underestimated the dangerous impact and influence that envy has in people's lives, including my own. Um, envy is a lot like the word covetousness that we hear about in the Bible, which is an insatiable desire to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in things rather than in God. Now, throughout this series, um, you've heard us mentioned several times, we've referenced this, this excellent book by Graham Tomlin called The Seven Deadly Sins. And something he says about, uh, about it in here really, I think, sums this, this whole lesson up nicely. He says, out of all of the, of the sins, envy is different. It's different because it's the one sin on the list that has no pleasure in it whatsoever. From start to finish, envy is no fun at all. It's the most miserable of habits. And and you know, one reason for that, I think, is that uh, from a cultural standpoint, um, envy is not a sin that we like to be associated with. Um, a few few months back, Megan and I bought a truck, and uh, I've wanted a truck for a long time, and I shopped around, looked at several different ones, finally picked the truck that I, that I wanted, and and uh, I really I really like the truck. It's you know it's all black and and uh, you know no stickers and decals on it and, and stuff. It's just the truck that I that I wanted, and and so we were driving down to St. George a few weeks ago to go uh, for Thanksgiving, and even though gas prices are high, Meg let me drive my truck down there. And I was enjoying that because I like to drive it. And as I'm driving along, I'm going down the freeway and I get passed by this all black Ford Raptor pickup, which had this really cool grill on the front with like a winch and LED lights and, and big rims and big tires and, and tinted windows. And, and it, I mean, this thing, was, this thing was set up. It was really amazing. And as it was driving past me, I was like, man, I wish I had that truck. And I sat there thinking about that for a couple minutes. And after that, I was like, you know, that, that feeling or that thought that I had about that had instantly taken the joy that I had in, in, my own, in driving my own truck, right? And, and it, was, 
it was actually kind of embarrassing to have said that in, you know, in front of my wife, and I felt terrible about it. And, you know, Tomlin, in this book of his, he, he goes on and he says, we don't always mind being seen as angry or lustful or even lazy, but we dislike being seen as envious because it's unattractive. And I think that the reason that envy is such a miserable habit is that I think that with some of these other ones, I think that, that maybe we have a little bit of fun with some of these other sins on the list, albeit short-lived and, and you know, very destructive fun. Um, Proverbs says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. It's a, envy is an unquenchable thirst. It's like a, uh, that perpetual carrot dangling from the stick that some people may try to pass off as, as, a, as, a, as motivation, right? But it ultimately, it keeps that satisfaction that we're desiring just out of our, out of our reach. In James 3.16, it says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. So what we're talking about with envy, guys, is we're talking about uh, harmful self-torment. This is uh, a situation where we allow ourselves to be so bothered by somebody else's success and happiness that we end up wounding our own spirit. And so you might think that if uh, envy is so terrible and if it lacks that, that fun factor or whatever, that phony fun factor that these other sins sort of claim to, you might think that it would be the easiest to uh, turn away from and, and to avoid. But in fact, envy may be one of the more difficult to defeat because I think that somewhere we, we may hold some sort of an innate feeling that we deserve something better. So we deserve something more or that somebody has wronged us. Now, in the dictionary, it defines envy and says a feeling of, it's a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or even luck. But I think as we go through this lesson, I think it can be more aptly defined biblically as a feeling of discontent or resentment toward God because of someone else's possessions, quality, or luck. So let's get into this lesson and let's look at three steps for defeating envy. And the first step is uh, to turn back to the very God who seems to have treated us so badly. Now, I think this is a, a really good place for us to start. I'm losing my voice. Hang on. I think this is a really great place for us to start because I think a lot of people today throughout the world have a, have a negative view, a negative perception of God. I think so oftentimes that they sort of view God as that like, you know, it's that sort of cliched kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, burning ants just because he can, right? And, and some other people um, think that the bad things that, that happen to us are, are God punishing us just for being the people that we are. And I think that these opinions about God's character get formed by people based on the lack of, of character that they witness from other people. And we don't have to get too far into the Bible to see this uh, demonstrated. In, in Genesis 4, verse 3, it says, <coughs> excuse me, it says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. 
This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Now, you guys went through this, this passage last week, right? Now, um, a lot of people, when they, when they look at this passage, they, uh, they kind of wondered over the years as to why Abel's gift, why his, his offering is accepted, and why Cain's isn't. And, and, you know, some people, a lot of people think that, it, that it's because Abel's sacrifice was a blood sacrifice, right? Or that it was the, the first lambs from his flock that he chose. Um, and, you know, the, the text doesn't really say if the same care was applied to Cain's choice of, a, of an offering. But I think it's really a lot more important for us to look at the heart factor for Cain here rather than trying to form an opinion about the fairness of God's decision and it continues in the, in the next verse. It says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. The sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Now, at this point in the story, Cain hasn't sinned. Right? It is, it's okay for us to feel as though our hard work and our, and our effort are being undervalued or, or overlooked. It's okay for us to question why someone else less deserving is being rewarded. And God tells Cain right here, he tells him that he, that he can still be accepted if he does what's right. Cain's in a position here to make a, a choice. He can either indulge his sinful nature or he can turn back to God, seeking understanding and trusting in God's plan rather than his own. And, and this is somewhere we've all been, right? We've all been here where, where we know fully well that we can choose to indulge our sinful nature. We can give in to anger. We can give in to, to envy, uh, even though we know we will find no satisfaction there. Or we can turn back from it and seek God. And so... Cain is presented here with a choice, and he, and he makes a choice. And, and as the story plays out, Cain stays very angry, and he actually goes on to kill his brother Abel. Certainly, uh, he has convinced himself that his anger and his envy were righteous because he feels that, that God has, has been unfair. And maybe you felt that way too. Maybe you felt your anger or your envy was righteous because God isn't being fair in your life. Now, instead of substituting anger for envy, though, I want you to know that you can be honest with God about what you're feeling. You can, you can go to him and you can say, hey, why, why is it that I'm not being rewarded for this hard work? Why, you know, why, why is it that I'm, I'm living my life this way and, and I'm not being blessed? You could go to him with these tough questions. I promise you God can handle it. People have been giving him these, these tough questions for thousands of years. He can handle it. See, what's cool about it is in asking him those questions, this is how we get to know God's character. This is how we develop relationship with him. Cain's sin occurs when he decides to forego God's warning and he chooses to go his own way. And his punishment for this is severe. The text says that he was sent away from God's presence. So the important thing for us to understand here is the truth is that God isn't to blame for these unfair, painful moments in our lives. Sin is. Sin is a wedge that gets driven in between us 
and God separating us from him. And that separation is painful. But as we get to know God's character, we learn and come to trust that, you know, he never intended for the world to be full of pain. And although sin entered the world and separated us from God, he actually loved us so much that he made a way for us to be reconciled with him. God sent his very most precious offering, his son Jesus, to be crucified on the cross for my sins, for your sins, so that we wouldn't have to be separated him for eternity. So he gave us a gift that we can never afford and that we can never under any circumstances earn. The fact is, guys, the only thing that we deserve with our sinful nature, the only thing that we deserve is eternal death. But once we realize that and we realize that he still loved us so much that he would pay that price for us, there is no way that we can view him as unfair. So that's the first step in defeating envy in our lives. The second The second step is to learn to admire God's gifting in others without comparing them with your gifts. Now, this can be pretty tough, right? Um, But if you can put a stop to the comparison game, you thwart envy's attack at at the very beginning. We need to know that God has plans for us, but they're not all the same plans, right? The plan he has for me is different than than the plan he has for you. Our goal should not be to see each other as competitors, but we should see each other as broken people, each of us in need of salvation that only comes from the blood of Jesus. And God has gifted each of us uniquely. But we gotta remember though that our gifts are not our possessions to do with as we want, but those gifts he gives us come with responsibility. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it says that, that, that we have a responsibility to build up the church and the body of Christ with these gifts. The simple truth is we should look at our gifts through the lens of how might I use this to, to uh, bless someone else or to glorify God. In, second, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29, it says, are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. So not only do we look at our gifts uh, this way, but we should also notice that the more that people around us are are blessed and uh, the, the more that those gifts can in turn be passed on to others. This is really an issue of, of being outwardly focused, right? Rather than being selfishly, inwardly focused. This is simply kindness, guys. This is simply love. Kindness nullifies envy by placing the desire to help others above the need to supersede them. If we choose to look at each other's gifting as a blessing rather than a slight to ourselves, our whole, our whole perspective begins to change. Somebody told me one time that their technique for conquering lust in their life was to begin praying for the person who is the object of their lust. The idea being that it's hard to have impure, lustful thoughts about somebody when you are, you're praying to God to bless that person, right? Well, I think that technique works well for envy too. If we're envious 
of, of the things that somebody else has, the gifts, the, 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 the job, the money, the house, whatever it is, if we're, if we're envious of that, but we, pr- but we start praying that they would be gifted even more, that they would be blessed even more in their life, that they would have a, a closer relationship with God, it becomes very difficult for us to, to be envious of people that we are cheering on, that we are asking God to bless, right? In reality, we should want people to continue to be blessed. After all, the gifts that God blesses us for are not for the individual, but for the benefit of, of everybody else. In 1987, the Washington Bullets basketball team had seven foot seven Manute Bull at center and five foot three inch Muggsy Bogues playing point guard. Now, Manute Bull's job was to block shots, and he was good at it. He ended up 16th overall in, in NBA history in blocked shots. And Muggsy Bogues, Muggsy's job was to pass the ball to other people so they could score. He ended up 23rd all-time leader in assists. Right now, they both had a unique gifting. And of course, some of this was, was based on their hard work and their, and their skill. But they were big. They were created from the very beginning with specific differences, and it would have been silly to compare their abilities. And even here in the church, we can see this on display. When we see our our talented worship leaders singing our songs, we can be thankful because we are blessed through their gifting. If somebody's gifted in teaching, we benefit when we bring our family and our friends to be able to hear a solid biblical message, we could find joy in that rather than being jealous, right, and, and comparing ourselves to the person up on stage. And we could take it a step further. There are a lot of serving opportunities to help others pursue God through the local church. Right here at Alpine and Brigham, there's lots of opportunities to bless other people by serving. You know, maybe you're gifted in, in helping some of the, the less glamorous uh, parts of pulling off a Sunday service uh, be done in such a way that, that glorifies God. Not a lot of people are going to put uh, replacing the toilet paper roll in the bathroom amongst the most glamorous jobs in, in the church, but not one person in this room is going to argue that it's not important, right? That's it, just how it is. We had sewer problems today. Thank goodness somebody is working hard to, to fix that for us. Maybe you're a talented musician, but you can't come up and for whatever reason, you can't be a part of our our worship team, uh, but maybe you're blessed with the gift of financial giving to the ministry. Whatever way God has blessed you, the important thing to remember, guys, is that that blessing is never, it's never intended to stop with you. The goal is for it to flow through you. Something that really probably is at odds with the way that the world tries to influence us. And that's Um, You know, that brings us to the third point here in defeating envy, which is to question the system of values that says we should envy the wealthy, famous, and beautiful. I don't think I have to convince any of you how true this point is. I think we all see this problem in our society, right? We see people all the time that are famous just for, for being famous, right? We can't really understand it. We, we watch ridiculous uh, lives of the ridiculously rich on, on you know, TV. 
the magazine covers at the at the grocery store show somebody and say, uh, you know, she's 80 years old and she looks like she's 30, right? Our social media lives that we measure our value based off of how many thumbs up or smiles or whatever we get next to the latest picture uh, that we've that we've posted. But the Bible doesn't tell us to measure our value that way. Even Jesus himself was born into poverty. And the Bible actually uh, actually says that he was really not something to look at either. In let me see, I missed something. There we go. In Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Now I think that I think that he demonstrated this because God looks on the heart right not the outward appearance it's love that matters more than more than fame or or you know our societal positioning or or our title or whatever see god's kingdom is is upside down he chooses weak things of the world to demonstrate his power in 1 corinthians 26 it says remember that few of you are wise in the world's eyes are powerful or wealthy when god called when god called you Instead, God chose things the world, excuse me, sorry. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he, cho- he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. In the first century, they were actually accusing Jesus' disciples of turning the world upside down for preaching the message of Jesus. But they were right. Jesus continuously preached a message that he was after our hearts. He didn't care about earthly kingdoms. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't impressed with, with uh, our worldly deeds or our, our titles or our rank in society. He didn't care what nation we came from, how much money we had. He didn't care about anything like that. He was after our hearts. What Jesus wanted and what Jesus still wants today is to be in, relation, in, in relationship with us, the unimpressive, the societal rejects, the broken. In fact, in the next verse, it says, God chose those things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God's kingdom is upside down in, in the eyes of the world. But God's the creator of the world, right? Only God determines what's right and what's wrong. He, only God determines what has value and why. What the world says is important simply isn't. And how the world measures your value is based on a lie. Only God's systems of values then has any real importance to us. So as we close today, I want to remind you that we don't need to envy anyone if we have what really matters, right? That relationship with Jesus. We no longer have to be a slave to chasing that uncatchable carrot dangling from, this, from a string. We can quench our thirst with living water. That last verse in that chapter says, God has united you with Christ Jesus, 
for our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. So if we remember what I said here at the beginning, that sin is going our way instead of going God's way, then we have to remember that warning that God gave Cain so long ago when he said sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Now, if I can paraphrase uh, one final point in Graham Tomlin's book, he says the secret of overcoming sin to become its master is to make God the number one, the all-consuming passion of our lives to pursue him to seek him just he is just as he has first pursued and and sought us. So guys, this is my request to you. As you go about the rest of your day today, wherever you go, whatever it is that you do, make the decision today that you want to overcome that sin in your life, knowing that it is eager to control you. It is waiting. It's crouching at the door waiting to control you. So let's make today the day that you make God the all-consuming passion of your life, the day that you pursue him the way that he first pursued you. You guys pray with me? Lord God, we understand that sin is actively pursuing us. This, this, um, it, it affects every single person in this room. Lord, uh, we are, we are, uh, powerless in ourselves to be able to do anything about it. It affects our relationships. It affects our health. It affects our, 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 our jobs, our families. Lord, we are completely powerless on our own to do anything about it. But Lord, we're thankful that you have, you have conquered sin. That, that, that the gift of your son, Lord, was, was uh, the price that we needed to pay, but you loved us so much that you sent your son to be crucified for us so that we could be not separated from you from eternity, but that we could be close to you, we could be in relationship with you. Lord, we are so blessed. And so, Lord, I just, I just ask that as we leave here today, that every heart in this room that has heard this message would be convicted, that they would, that they would address the sin in their lives, that they wouldn't run from it, that they wouldn't ignore it, Lord, but that they would consider it, they would ponder it, that they would talk to you about it. They would, they would have that conversation with you and try to understand the plan that you actually have for them, a, a better plan than we could come up with ourselves. And Lord, as we are convicted through that sin, Help us with having people in our lives that would help us to be able to, to take those next steps, to be able to, to uh, understand how we repent, how we develop this and continue this relationship with you. Ultimately, Lord, we are so grateful. We're so grateful for your forgiveness that you've offered us and, and the relationship that you are, that you are uh, wanting to have with us. Lord, we love you, and we say this in Jesus' name. Amen.